So in our current sermon series, we're talking about uh, what the Bible tells us about a godly life. What does a godly life look like? And how can we make progress toward living a more godly life? And the element of a godly life that we're going to talk about today, as I mentioned, is relationships. Um, We were all made to be in relationships. First and foremost, we were made for relationship with God, right? That was why God created people. He created us so that we could be in relationship with Him. He wanted people that He could love and who would choose to love Him too. And so we're told that the greatest commandment, the most important part of all the things that God has told us is... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love God is to be in a relationship with Him. He is our Heavenly Father. We are His children. But we are also made to be in relationship with each other. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, when God created the world... And he filled it with all the plants and animals and all the rest. And he, he put just one human on earth, a guy named Adam. Right? And the way that Genesis tells the story of creation, uh, it happens uh, in a six-day sequence where each day is described as a kind of a formula. And, uh, and it tells us what God created on that day. And then it, uh, part of the formula is that it says, And God saw that it was good. And then at the end, after he's finished all the creation, the end of the story, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. But then a few verses later, it's, as, it's, as the Bible is telling us about how uh, Adam was put in the Garden of Eden, a uh, beautiful garden that would uh, provide for all of his needs and where he would be the steward of creation and take care of the garden, um, there is one thing that God looks at and recognizes that it is not good. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so God created the second human, Eve, and the two of them were given the commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? Why? Because God created us to be in all kinds of relationships with one another. It's part of our purpose. It's part of what we're made for. We are to be in relationships. It's not good for us to be alone. Adam already had a relationship with God, right? But relationship with God is not all that we are made for. When Adam only had a relationship with God, God said, it is not good. We were made to have relationships with each other, and that is part of what God wants for us. We were created in the image of God, and part of that image is that we are relational people, just like God is a relational person. Now, it doesn't mean, um, you know, when when I'm saying that we are all made to be in relationships, it doesn't mean that we are all made to be extroverts, right? Um... Made for relationships is not the same as saying made to be best friends with every person you meet. You know, uh, my wife has about 75 best friends, uh, but we're not all like that. (laughs) We're not all like that. And, um, And when we say that we're all made for relationships, we don't mean that extroverts are good and introverts are bad. Um... 
But we do mean that isolation is not good. We should all have relationships with other people, even if we have um, different personalities that mean that we have different numbers of relationships and different depths of relationships and things. A godly life is a life that includes godly relationships. And for all of us, no matter what kind of personality God has given to each one, there are biblical guidelines that tell us how to have godly relationships. And as we've done in this series, uh, we're going to take a look now at some of what the Bible has to say about what a godly life in this area of relationships looks like and how we can make progress toward living a more godly life. So today we're going to look at two big biblical guidelines or, or ideas about godly relationships. Um, obviously, this isn't everything that the Bible has to say about relationships. We could, you know, there's, there's a lot, of, lot more to it. Uh, we're leaving out a lot of stuff, but these are very important keys to living a godly life. The first thing, which is also pretty much the main thing, and the other thing is really kind of a subcategory of this first one. But the main thing is this. It is that uh, the main thing that should characterize all of our relationships is love. Our relationship with God should be characterized by love, and our relationship with other people should be characterized by love too. Right? It's like the theme verse for our church, right? Say it with me. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, one of the places that the Bible talks about love the most is in the book of 1 John. It's a really short book. It's, it's about four pages in my Bible, uh, but it, it packs a lot in there. There's a lot of profound things uh, that it has to say there in 1 John, especially a lot of good stuff about love. And uh, so the first section we're going to look at from 1 John is from chapter 4, and I'm starting with verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, back in the day, for some of you who are a little older, you might remember we had like a campfire worship song that was these two verses that we would sing. Anybody else remember that song? I remember it very well. Um, so uh, the, the, let's look at what it has to say here, though. The first sentence is, it's just a simple encouragement to love. Dear friends, or in the old translation from the song, beloved, uh, let us love one another. Let us love one another. For love comes from God. But even that little simple word of encouragement actually has something profound to add to our ideas about love here because it, uh, it says that uh, the kind of love that Christians should have for others is not normal human love. He's talking about a kind of love that comes from God. Next sentence tells us uh, that that he is definitely not talking about ordinary human loves. It says that everyone who loves with this kind of love that comes from God has been born of God and knows God. This is a kind of love that is unique to Christians. If you have this love, it means you've been born of God. And the last part of the verse tells us that anyone who does not love in this way does not know God. 
The clear teaching here is that loving one another is an essential part of what it means to be a Christian. It's not optional. Love is essential. In the next verse, John gives us an example of what kind of love he is talking about. Uh, Verse 9, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. God sending his one and only Son, his beloved, his closest relationship into the world so that we could live is the greatest illustration of love. Jesus came down to earth and became a man so that we could live. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What is it that makes this such a great demonstration of true love? Well, one part of it is that the ones who God loves, that's me and you, uh, we did not love him. We are not worthy of his love. In another place, the Bible says that it was when we were still God's enemies that Jesus came to save us. God's love for us was not a response to our love for him. I'm going to say that again. God's love for us was not a response to our love for him. That is a clear statement of the Bible, and it has a lot of implications in our lives. In the next verse, John spells out one of the most important implications of that. Verse 11 here. It says, uh, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So what does it say is the proper response to God's love for us? Well, we might expect it to say something like, since God so loved us, we also ought to love God. And no doubt that's true and right and good, yes, but that's not what it says. It says, since God so loved us, we ought to to love one another. And we just saw that this kind of love is not dependent on being loved first. If we loved God because he first loved us, that wouldn't really fit the pattern of the kind of love that God has for us. Because this kind of love, this kind of love that comes from God, is love for those who do not love us. It is while we did not love God that he showed his love by sending Jesus. And now he calls us to have the same kind of love for other people. That is, we need to love them first, not as a response to their love for us. We need to love people even when they don't deserve it course, it is great when love is reciprocated, but the kind of love that we're talking about here, this godly biblical love, 
is love for those who have done nothing to deserve love. A couple of verses down here, this theme continues. Uh, verse 19 of 1 John chapter 4. We love because he first loved us. And we're still talking about loving other people here. We love because God loved us. Um, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. If we claim to love God and we do not love people, we are lying. We're lying to ourselves, we're lying to God. Love is essential to being a Christian, including and especially love toward people who do not deserve our love, love toward people who have done nothing to earn our love. But what kind of love really are we talking about here? Because love is a term that, uh, you know, it, our English word love can be used for all kinds of different things. What are we really talking about here in, uh, in the Bible here? Um, one thing we know from the verses we just read is that this is a kind of love that doesn't have to be earned and that it's the kind of love that results in action, right? This love motivated God to send Jesus to become a man and come to earth to save people from sin and death. If we want to know more about what kind of love is in mind, we have to go back a little bit in the text. First John chapter 3, he, does, he describes more about what kind of love he's talking about. What does he mean when he says love? So First John chapter 3, verse 16. This isn't John 3.16, it's First John 3.16. Also a great verse, but a different one. Okay, so First John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. That's a helpful introduction, right? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love is defined here as self-sacrifice. Laying down one's life for others is love. Now, obviously, Jesus, uh, he laid down his life in a way that's not really imitatable in the specifics of what he did, right? Uh, we are not able to offer ourselves as a sacrifice for sin to fulfill God's justice and, and, uh, and, and, and satisfy the requirements so that people can be forgiven and, and granted eternal life. That was his role, right? Um, so what are we supposed to do when it says, love like Jesus loved? Um, it tells us in the next verses here. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What does it mean to love like Jesus loved and lay down your life for others? It means to give our money to those who have need. Again, John is very strong in his language. If you don't have pity for the poor, how can the love of God be in you? It doesn't mean that Christians have to give money to every person who stands at the intersection holding a sign. 
But I don't see how you can read this and not conclude that Christians who have material possessions should be giving some of their material possessions toward those who have needs. Most of the time, giving cash on the street is not the best way to help the poor, but there are better ways to give, and we should be giving through those means. Now, I, I want to be careful here because I, I, I fear that we might all be getting distracted by thinking about homeless people and how hard it is to really help people in those kinds of situations and all the politics of all that. So let's, let's just reread a couple of verses here in order to refocus. What are we really talking about here? It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What we're talking about here is love and what it means to love. And we're talking about relationships here. Yeah, this applies to people in need that we don't know, but, but it's really primarily about people that we have a connection with, people that we have a relationship with, who have needs. And of course, the example here is someone who has material needs, but uh, really, it, it, it's pretty clear that all kinds of needs apply to this. People have many other needs, even if they have enough to eat. <laughs> um, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And that means when they have whatever kinds of needs and we have the ability to meet those needs, love should motivate us to do it. Including and especially when it costs us something. Dear friends, let us love with actions and in truth. Now, some people have read 1 John here and, and seen his very strong language and have thought that they have found a, a kind of a way around what he's saying here and a way to limit it. They said, oh, look, here, uh, if you notice, several times in these verses that we've looked at this morning, it says that we need to love our brothers and sisters. And so some people have said, aha, see, this is only talking about fellow Christians, people from your church. That's who you have to show this kind of uh, love to, and we can, uh, it doesn't include outsiders. Um, people who try to use that means to get around this have not read their Bibles very well. Um, Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan, very famous story. That was his answer to somebody who tried to do exactly the same kind of thing to limit who uh, this requirement to love would apply to. But Jesus also stated it much more plainly without a long story in one of his sermons. Here's what he said in, in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you have all heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? 
But who are we supposed to love? Our friends and neighbors, yes, and our enemies too. And what does it mean to love them? It means to lay down our lives for them. It means that if they have needs and we are able to meet them, we should do it. That's what love is. It's seeking the good of the other, even when it requires a sacrifice on our part. Even when they've done nothing to deserve it. Even when they've done things to undeserve it. (laughs) This is the foundation of Christian relationships. Love. Self-sacrificing love. And this applies to all of our relationships as Christians. It applies to our families. We are called to have self-sacrificing love for our spouses, for our children, for our siblings, for our parents. If they have needs, our love should motivate us to meet those needs, even if it costs us. But of course, it also applies way beyond our families even to our enemies. Now, how great is it going to be when we're in heaven and we live in a society where everyone's doing this, right? Everybody is loving one another with this kind of self-sacrificing love and serving each other and and things. And and then it'll be easy. (laughs) For now, it's not easy. Um, For now, we try our best to live according to love, but we're not left on our own to do it. Remember what it said uh, in 1 John 4, it said, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love comes from God. As we live our lives mindful of God, worshiping Him, keeping in step with His Spirit, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit that He will produce in our lives, in fact, the first one on the list, if you look at the list of the Holy Spirit, the first one is love. Love comes from God. So, love is the foundation of all of our relationships. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The second relationship principle that we find in the Bible that we're going to talk about this morning is the principle of humility. And our key passage for this one is from the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start reading in verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Basic idea here definitely overlaps a lot with the self-sacrificing love we've been talking about. But here the principle is is, is a bit more general. As we go about our lives as Christians, we are to do nothing from selfish motives. And, you know, honestly, often our motives are, we are tempted to, to live according to motives that are exactly what the Bible says we need to avoid here. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. Right? We want to look good. <laughs> we want... We, we want uh, we, we want to win. We want to beat our rivals. 
Ambition is fine as long as it's an ambition to help others and to see God glorified. But selfish ambition, the desire to get ahead at the expense of others, is forbidden. As is the conceit that that makes our own reputation and our own glory our goals. Now this would be a lot easier instruction if the middle part was left out and it was worded just a little bit differently. You know, it would be nice if it said, uh, do nothing from selfish ambition and vain conceit, not looking to your own interests only, but also consider the interests of others. But that's not what it says. It does include the line, in humility value others above yourselves. And the word only isn't in there. It doesn't say, don't look only to your own interests. What does it say? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we will sometimes find it necessary to sacrifice our own rights, our own desires, our own goals, our own interests, in order to humbly serve someone else. Putting ourselves first and thinking of others only secondarily is exactly what this passage warns us against. And why is that warning necessary? Because that is the way we are all tempted to behave. We want our rights. We want our own interests to be fulfilled. And if we can then benefit someone else too along the way, that's nice. But our priority is ourselves first. That's the way we're tempted to think. And it's very hard not to think that way. But once again, we have our ultimate example in this passage too. In the love and humility of Jesus himself. Here it is, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The humility of Jesus in becoming a man and then becoming our servant is greater than any humility that you and I could show. We're told to consider other people's interests above our own, meaning other people who are basically our equals. Right? Jesus considered our interests above his own, even though he was in very nature God. Jesus was in very nature God and took on the very nature of a servant. That's our example. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Serve one another. Consider others ahead of yourself. Now, of course, the fact that Jesus is our example of humility also shows that humility is not low self-esteem, right? Uh, when it says, consider others above yourself, that doesn't mean we're supposed to think that, they are, that we are inferior to them, 
Jesus did not think that he was inferior to us. Um, Jesus humbled himself and served us because he chose to put our interests ahead of his own, not because he believed that we were somehow superior to him. Humility is about choosing to serve others ahead of yourself, not about feeling bad about yourself. So do you see the connection between humility and love? It was Jesus' love for us that caused him to consider our needs above his own needs. And this is the mindset that we are instructed to have in all of our relationships with each other. A mindset of love and humility that causes us to seek the good of others and to, uh, and to seek their good above our own. A godly life is a life of godly relationships. We were made for relationships. This is, uh, you know, one of the reasons we have small groups. Like we were just uh, hearing about uh, the journey groups. It's great to be in a room with 100 people um, and great to be in community together. But it's, it's also great to be in a smaller community where you really have the, the ability to get to know each other and have a deeper, closer relationship We were made for relationships, and all of our relationships, even our relationships with our enemies, are supposed to be characterized by self-sacrificing love and humility. So, what's the next step for you in your progress toward a godly life in your relationships? Is there an area in which you are struggling to relate to people in love? Is there a particular person that you need to treat with more humility? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us, And we pray that we would respond to your love by loving one another. May we be humble. May we see opportunities to sacrifice and really meet the needs of others. I pray this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.